Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 262. Award season is now upon us, which means Talking Oscars is back to cover all things Oscars and awards related due this 2019-2020 awards season. Join me now is film critic, movie analyst, and Talking Oscars co-host Shane A. Bassett. Shane, I thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you, Matt. And here we are again, and lots to talk about tonight. Can't wait. Very much lots to talk about. I want to say something first to all the people out there. I apologise. Last week I was really crook, and anyone out there who's got kids, especially younger kids, they bring home all matter of sickness, and I got a double whammy. Started a week, ended a week. It just came from like all corners, um, so I had to really I had to cancel pretty much every podcast I had scheduled last week because I couldn't talk that well. Um, so well, I'm glad we can do this now and do a real catch up. And we do have a, a big show, and I'm sure in that time that we haven't spoke, Shane, you and I, that we've watched quite a bit of movies. So how about we start off with what we watched? And Shane, how about you go first and talk about what films you saw at the flicks? Well, I've narrowed it down to about nine or so because I've seen so many since we last spoke. Um, I have seen uh, Ford versus Ferrari, mm-hmm. which I really enjoyed. Last Christmas. Now, that's another movie I enjoyed. Now, I know it's getting a, a bad review and you might want to comment on it uh, later. But, you know, to me, if it's a Christmas movie and it's a chick flick, I'm partial to both of them. And it does have its flaws. But I've got to say, Last Christmas, I thought was pretty good. Uh, the Report. I saw. Now, I hadn't seen that last time. I think you did. Adam Driver, that was pretty good. Uh, Charlie's Angels, the new reboot of that. Marriage Story was another movie I've seen. And let me tell you, it is one of the best movies I've seen in a long time. It really did affect me. Uh, The Irishman, but I'll leave that until uh, the end because we both might want to talk about that one together. I also saw a movie called After the Wedding, which has almost been and gone since we last spoke it came out uh one week and it was almost gone the next out of cinemas and it's a wonder uh because it has michelle williams uh julianne moore Mm -hmm. billy crudup was in it um and it's a strong film a really good drama but no no publicity no uh nothing driven behind it for people to go and see it so it's just disappeared basically out of cinemas uh, and last but not least, I saw Dr. Sleep. Yep. Now, I've seen it twice now. You might have seen it too. I'm not sure, Matt. But let me tell you, it is. It's kind of what I've – it was what I didn't know I wanted. I don't, didn't think I needed a sequel to The Shining, and I haven't read the book that it's based on. But to me, it's a little bit of a, a cross-germination of both um, Stanley Kubrick and Stephen King. And I really, really enjoyed it. It's actually a better movie the second time because there's a lot happening and it gets a little confusing. But uh, overall, I thought Dr. Sleep was brilliant. I saw Dr. Sleep at the Sydney screening and I also loved that film. Unfortunately, um, a dud at the box office spoke here it in has Australia been and overseas. Flop. Sadly, it has been a flop, just as you said. Um, uh, you know, maybe it needed a different title. Dr. Sleep, I know, was the name of the book, but it does not say The Shining in the title at all. Uh, maybe it just needed, like, a, a subtitle of Dr. Sleep and then The Shining Part 2 or something. I, I, I know that sounds gen- generic, but more people would know what it was. I mean, it, I love the film as well, and... You're exactly right. Um, the director, Mike Flanagan, really took 
what Stephen King did with his little bit of literary source and what um, Stanley Kubrick did with the kind of the visual medium of the adaptation of The Shining. And I, I don't know if you know this, but Stephen King really hates The Shining film. He actually despises yes. what Kubrick did with it. Um, but a lot of people remember that film because it's, look, it's a fantastic movie. Um, and I think that Dr. Sleep is also a fantastic film. Um, Ewan McGregor is excellent. I, I thought that actually uh, Rebecca Ferguson <clears throat> was absolutely terrific in the villain role. Um, it, it's one of those kind of like um, horror movies where you're exactly right. There's a lot of elements going on and I think a lot of that just comes from Stephen King's writing. He usually does have a lot of subplots and things going on, and there's a, w- a lot of world building. Um, but I was just engrossed by it all the way through. And um, also, I think what else is really interesting about that movie is that, you know, I watch a lot of horror films. Um, I get a lot of them sent to me, and horror movies, by, by just by their nature, really have a sinister streak like uh, t- towards them. This film, is, it's going to sound kind of weird saying this, Shane, but it's kind of almost like a positive uh, story in it. It's about a man who is getting to grips with who he is, his abilities, his identity. He always becomes like a, a mentor figure to like a younger a younger lady who also has these abilities of all, and they work together to kind of like combat evil. Um, and I think like that type of storytelling, like especially the horror genre, is something that's been missing lately. Um, a lot of horror films can be unrelentingly dark sometimes um, and, and they really kind of relish in it and this movie it can get very dark it can get very violent can get very scary but it's got that kind of positive aspect to it and I don't know whether that's a Stephen King thing where he wanted to um, he's just getting older at age and he's been a few he's been through a few things you know um, and whether he just want to put that spin on it but that's just something that I took away from it I don't know if you felt the same way Shane yeah no I did uh, you know I would be I would object a little bit calling it a horror movie, even though it comes from The Shining, uh, you know, originally, it's, Doctor Sleep isn't that horrific. It's tense, and it's more of a thriller and suspense movie. And you're right, it it is about redemption and the the main character finding himself again. And I think Rebecca, uh, what was her last name? Rebecca Ferguson. Yes. She's terrific. Like, you're right. She's terrific, but odd. And second viewing, a little bit more understandable of what her and a group that she's in are trying to do because it's complicated. And maybe I needed to read the book, although I don't think it is word, word for word from the book either. It does pick elements out of the Kubrick incarnation into the to, to the book, which kept, I believe, Stephen King happy. He... he uh, he basically uh, loves and endorses Doctor Sleep, which is great because he's had a good run, you know, this year with with lots of his adaptations. Uh, probably since It Part One, actually, uh, he's he's had a really good run. So, I'm not, I'm, although I'm not sure about Pet Cemetery, and that that has been the biggest Stephen King blockbuster of the year. But that said, I did like I did like Doctor Sleep, and you, you're right. Um, I just wouldn't call it a horror movie, even though it's from that element. Of the other movies you listed, Ford versus Ferrari, I saw as well. I thought it was fantastic. Both Christian Bale and Matt Damon, excellent in their roles. Really kind of sleek, stylish movie. Uh, more than a racing car film. Um, I thought Tracy Letts was also very strong as um, Henry Ford II. I thought he was really terrific. And if yeah, any... we'll talk about that because uh, oh, we that are obviously... Be? Okay. Uh, We'll be bringing up some actors later, and uh, he might get a mention because I- I'm with you on that. I'm... I don't think it was a, an actual car movie. There was a lot more to it than that. 
I also saw uh, Terminator Dark Fate, which I wasn't a fan of. I thought like this is the sixth film um, in this franchise, and in my opinion, after number two, it's just been a retread, really. I think the only one that's been kind of interesting is Terminator Salvation. That's the one where um, Christian Bale played John Connor. So it's like, it was set in the future. It's kind of different. It wasn't so much a pursuit movie. Um, this film is just like all the others. But it's just got it's just <laughs> not as exciting as the other ones. I thought Genesis was a really low... It's still the worst movie uh, in, in, in the franchise, but Dark Fate... Uh, isn't far from that. Uh, last Christmas, I also saw... You know, I'm kind of with you in regards to... You know, it's a Christmas movie. Um, for the, the whole point of Christmas movies, especially rom-com style Christmas movies, it has to be sweet, it has to be fluffy. I mean, it's um, of the more of a British mould, even though Paul Feig's an American director. He did Bridesmaids and such. Um, he did an okay job in it, and I really thought that... Um, Oh, what's the um, lead actress's name again? Um, uh, I really like her, Amelia Clark. Mm, yes. I mean, you, you've got to give it, you've actually got to give the movie, and I think you'll agree, about 10 or 15 minutes because the, the comedy at the start just doesn't work. It falls flat, but it picks up, and rom-com and um, Christmas aficionados, I think, will get the most benefit out of it. And she's like, when you see her on like talk shows and such, talking about Game of Thrones, another kind of more serious fear that she did, um, she really comes across that personality that she has in Last Christmas. It seems more her kind of natural personality, kind of kooky, kind of cheeky, um, uh, like, you know, likes to laugh at herself at the, exp at the expense of herself. So I thought that really came across. The problem I had with that film, though, and I tweeted about it right after I saw the film because it really, really like got me a little, a little worked up in it, is that... Um, Emma Thompson wrote the movie. She wrote her, the main characters as um, immigrants from uh, Croatia. Um, but throughout the film, just the way that they are portrayed, the way that they're described, the way that they, uh, you know, describe themselves, um, any Croatian person who sees that film will be scoffing at it. And I, I was definitely there as well. And it's a real shame because Emma Thompson is very clear in the screenplay in the movie. She puts great... Um, uh, pain into showing the film of diversity a lot yeah. of the characters in the movie come from all walks of life um and and it's just a real shame that the main character that she has she couldn't put in that little extra research um to really depict them in a more truthful light um and, and I, that really kind of you know, I'd hate to be a Grinch with the Christmas movie, but that really kind of put <laughs> me off um what that film was doing um but other than that the tone of the film was just fine, exactly what you want from a film like that. Um, and also, The Irishman, I saw that as well, but I think you and I will be talking about that quite a bit uh, a little later in our conversation. Yes. Um, let's move on to some news now. So, we have a host, not for the Oscars though, but for the Golden <laughs> Globes. So, Ricky Gervais. He has been reported in Deadline. He's been pressed into service once again and will host the 77th annual Golden Globes next year. And to put in Gervais' words, they made him an offer he couldn't refuse. So this would be his fifth time, but he assures it will be his last time as well. And I find this really kind of peculiar because, as we saw with the Oscars last year, it it's clearly seems that a lot of the awards bodies are trying to stay away from comics of Gervais kind of mold, very much kind of offense co comedians. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see what's going to happen when um, January 5 comes around and um, it's Golden Globes time and Ricky Gervais is on the stage. Um, I know when you shared the news with me, Shane, that you were very excited about this news. 
I was excited and it was like I woke up to the news and I thought, shit, I've got to like uh, text Matt because it's something that we talk about all the time, especially recently with, with hosts. And Ricky as host is exactly what they need. And if they get some controversy out of it and if that happens, well, that might be welcomed because ratings are important. Yep. People like us love our movies and love our award shows, but not everyone does. And, you know, ratings are important so... It might actually prompt people to watch it. Down the track in years to come, we might not see award shows like this on television. They might be just restricted to online streaming or something. So, Ricky to say it's his last one, too, and I think it was great that he admitted it was an offer he couldn't refuse. Obviously, they've thrown stacks of money at him, and he'll do a good job. Of course he will. On the run, he's funny, and and when he prepped and, and reads scripts, he's funny. But... I just think it'll work. It'll just it'll just work, and it might actually make the Oscars think twice about going hostless again this year. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. I mean, if he if he gets ratings in, and his type of um, his type of humor works, um, I like to think that the Oscars will look at it and just get over themselves and just try to get a host and just stop thinking about what everyone else like. The whole thing with the Kevin Kevin Hart situation, I hate to just go back on it again because it seems like we covered it so many times already. We're but back. We're, we're backtracking. We <laughs> are. We are. Kevin. We are. But the whole thing about that is that a lot of the people who were making a fuss of it were just like these kind of uh, Twitter kind of uh, activist kind of people were making a big stink yeah. of it. And all I got to say is that you know if they went ahead with the show. What impact would it have by having a bunch of people on Twitter just go um, crazy about it? I mean, I don't think I don't think it would whatsoever. If you put if you put on a good show and people like it at the end of the day, then that's all that matters. Ricky Gervais has proven four times already that he has um, he can do that. I'm sure he's going to do that again, and hopefully that that will set the tone for the rest of award season for these other awards bodies um, to just get over themselves, get a host, liven up the uh, experience of watching these what. I mean, how long does the Oscars go for? Three plus hours? Um, yeah, generally three three hours is your average, but some are longer. Some are shorter. I think last year was one of the shortest. Um, speaking of three plus hours, let's talk a little bit Avengers Endgame. Um, so when we were, not our last podcast, but the one beforehand, where we talked about um, films that were released so far this year, I mentioned Endgame, and I talked about how Disney... Um, I've got to put a lot of their resources behind trying to get a nomination for it. Now, at that time, Robert Downey Jr. said he didn't want any type of, uh, uh, do any type of campaigning whatsoever for his role of Tony Stark. And a lot of the uh, Marvel fans, and as you and I know, just watching the uh, Martin Scorsese versus, you know, Marvel fans kerfuffle over the last two weeks, they're very <laughs> passionate about their films. Um, they they got really upset about it and they really kind of pushed Disney to go ahead and submit him for your consider for consideration for supporting actor, but they didn't stop there. They pretty much put every single person in this movie and lest you forget there's like 30 people in this film um and they got them all up there um for consideration for best supporting actor um look i don't think that outside of robert downey jr um that anyone of the anyone else in this cast has got a shot in hell of getting this uh, actor um oscar nomination for this movie um but what's really interesting is that don't forget the sag last sag award black panther won best ensemble um 
So, do you think it could be a possibility that the lightning strikes again in another Marvel movie, considering the the, the names involved and the, the popularity of the film, that it could happen again, Shane? Right. Well, firstly, I'll just answer the, the ensemble thing. I think it'll have competition this year because Avengers should get that nomination from SAG. We'll, we'll talk about that in future episodes. But we've got Knives Out as well. Yep. Now, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm, that's a big big ensemble, you know, just alone. So I would say that's going to be a pretty big competition for, for um, something like Which will be uh, uh, interesting because... They're totally different films, but that that be that as it may. I wasn't surprised when you sent me that message and um, the email regarding this whole uh, push forward for the Avengers Endgame to be considered, and that's fair enough. They've got the money to do it. They've got publicity. They can send out some of their actors to shake hands with people who, who are voters. Downey Jr., he's one of the greats. Like, he's 40 years of acting I could handpick 10 movies just off the top of my head where he is borderline Oscar-worthy. And he's been nominated twice before already. Um, I think it'll connect with voters more on score and costume and effects and editing, of Mm. course. But maybe, just maybe, the cynical Academy of Voters will vote for both Avengers and the Irishman to have them up against each other. And again, we're talking ratings. That is going to gain interest in the ratings when that happens. This and the, one last thing, yeah, yep. if any out of all the other people that you, you know are nominated and in with a chance, Karen Gillan should be properly considered as Nebula or Nebula mm. because she's good. She's really strong and good and plays two characters in this movie, Endgame. So that's, that's my choice if there was a left field one. Uh, good on Downey Jr., being in the mix, but I think he said himself he didn't want to be, yeah. and I'm sorry to say he's not going to get there. Maybe a Golden Globe nom, because anything can happen there, but when it comes to Oscars, no, I don't think so. You see, the Irishman versus Avengers thing, I brought that up in our last podcast as well, um, and it's interesting. You did, all, that's right. All this stuff that's happening with Martin Scorsese and Marvel movies and all that, I think it could... It could very much play out on the award circuit. And you mentioned before Knives Out being a potential ensemble cast uh, nominee. Oh, sure. But The Irishman, De Niro, Pacino, Pesci, Keitel, all these actors in that as well. That could be another one as well. Um, so there could be possibility that this kind of feud that's happening, if you can call it that. I mean, look, Marvel is huge. Marvel's made billions of dollars. Martin Scorsese is Martin Scorsese, you know. What I mean, let's let's just let's just call it as it is, you know. Um, he's been around, you know, since '69 making movies. He's made the biggest, most cultural, um, in, impactful movies of all time. He's brought forth performances and scenes, and has as behind the scenes as well has been uh, had his hand in the preservation of cinema and as champion filmmakers and all these other things. He's like an institution into his own. So I don't really think there's much of a a, 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 a fight there whatsoever because M- Marvel for all the impact that it's had right now i think that impact will be fleeting um and i think scorsese is forever i mean if i can i could i could use a phrase like that um so 
But it will be interesting to see. I mean, who knows? Who knows whether um, if Downey Jr. does decide to get behind it, and he's a very charming guy, he's great with the media. If he gets out there, he does a campaign trail. Just say the Avengers uh, re-release once again on the on the big screen, just to get some more um, dollars <laughs> into for the, the third time. for the third time, more dollars in for like a, as an Academy run. I don't know. It could happen, and I guess we just have to wait and see if it does. Um, now. You know, the great thing about Oscar season sometimes, Shane, is that it brings out some real kind of wild stories. And we got, I think we got the first of the season so far. So you and I spoke a little bit off air about this. There's this film called The Fanatic that came out, I think it was August, directed by Fred Durst, stars John Travolta. And he plays a character. Um, it's not said whether he is, but it's implied that he's uh, got um, uh, um, or his autism, of a higher spectrum of autism. Um, and he is obsessed with movies, and he's obsessed with a movie star, and he stalks the movie star, and the movie turns to this thing about violence and etc. Um, anyway, so when the film came out, everyone panned it, um, and it was almost like ready to serve just for like people to just to dive in and just cut it up um, because you've seen the pictures of John Travolta right with the shorts and the shirt and just his look and everything else um, yeah exactly that's the less I was saying to you uh, off air um, that is the pretty much the only thing I know about this movie you filled me in on on the other stuff that you're just telling uh, telling us about now so yeah I was unaware it was even released and you've seen it I've seen it I reviewed it it wasn't that bad it wasn't that good but it wasn't that <laughs> bad um, Travolta actually I felt gave a pretty good performance in the movie it's one of those kind of um, swing big or, or, or go home kind of uh, movie performances he really just puts it out there um, he didn't hit a home run necessarily, he got on maybe second base um, and I think that's good enough for a movie like that um, and to just the truth be told I got a real kind of soft spot for John Travolta, he's one of those movie stars I grew up with, I used to watch Grease and and Saturday Night Live and Urban Cowboy and later with my teen years was Pulp Fiction. Get, get, get Shorty is one of my yeah. favorite movies. So he's a, like he, for all the all the like grief that he gets. This guy was like a, like a movie star and he's great, given great performances, just as bad as much as the bad ones. But it is really interesting that the whoever the um, studio is behind this movie decided to try to get <laughs> uh, Oscar nomination or campaign in in any in any kind of um, any kind of way to try to get uh, John Travolta nominated uh, for this movie um, because it ain't gonna happen um, no way no how <laughs> and um, just the fact that it's out there and they're trying to do it you know God bless them you know give they gave it a good college try but I don't think it does anything for John Travolta right now I'm sure he's kind of you know, if he hasn't done it by now, I'm sure he has to look at what he's, what type of choices he's making in regards to his career. And needs to, he really needs to make another comeback on top of the comeback because uh, it's not going too well for him. And um, I cannot foresee uh, any type of nomination coming his way, except for the good old Razzies, which will be uh, out around the same time as the Oscars as well. Yeah, well, uh, you know, there's been talk of Face Off 2 reuniting Nicolas Cage and John Travolta for quite some time now. I don't know if John Woo was going to be involved, but that's that's been in the mix for a while, I've heard. And just just back to the Fred Durst, I mean, he would have met John Travolta on the set of Be Cool because Fred Durst was in Be Cool, which is the sequel to uh, one of my favourite uh, John Travolta movies, 
uh, get Shorty. Yep. So they must have established some sort of friendship there, and um, obviously now he's directed him in a film. But, yeah, other than the, the image of the costume that he's wearing, uh, I knew nothing of the movie. So it still you've intrigued me. I want to see it, but it doesn't sound like he uh, is actually a, a real contender for any kind of awards. Do me a favour. If it comes out here on DVD and you get a chance to watch it or stream and what have you, I would like you to watch it and I want you to share with us on a future episode about what you think about it. We need to circle back to this because... That's really, a challenge I'll, I'll take. I'm really intrigued to, to see what your opinion is on that. Okay, so we covered the news. We covered what we watched. Now let's get on to predictions. That's the reason why people come here and why they want to listen. This week... We are doing the best supporting actor category. And this category usually has some of the best performances of the year, I find. Um, and this year, so far, from what I've seen and what I, I project to, is, is, is going to come out um, later in the year, I think it's going to be another kind of bountiful kind of a collection of talent here. Um, so, Shane, how about you go first and talk about what the performance you think uh, will be nominated for this category? Well, let's get this out of the way first, because let's talk about The Irishman. Now, I'm going to go with Joe Pesci, Mm -hmm. because he is fantastic in this. Now, don't get me wrong, Al Pacino is good too, and I'm sure he is pretty much a a supporting actor as well. But Joe Pesci in this, the return for him, I know he's been in the odd movie, but this is a real return to form and just presence on screen. And he's outstanding in this film. I mean, among a whole group of established actors in top notch mode, but Joe Pesci for me, I could not take my eyes off him during the Irishman. And that was through the entire, uh, it goes backwards and forwards in time. So you're seeing different Joe Pesci's in it. But I'm sure you'll elaborate more because I know you're strong on this film. But to me, he's can't not be nominated. That's that's my opinion anyway. So he's a one-time winner for Goodfellas. Um, like you said, hasn't appeared in screen that often. The last thing he did was, I think it was a film back in 2012 called Love Ranch with... Um, uh, Helen Mirren. Mirren. I don't know if you remember that film. So it's been that long. And it took Martin Scorsese quite a bit, actually, to coax him out of his kind of like retirement and do this movie. And he's fantastic in the film. He plays Russell uh, Buffalino. Uh, he's like Philadelphia Mafia, kind of uh, not, not a Don, but like very high kind of captain. Um, and what's really interesting about his performance in this movie is that especially in Scorsese movies we're used to the Joe Pesci that's really kind of loud and violent and aggressive. And this one's a very kind of measured low-key kind of performance. I don't remember anywhere in a movie where he really kind of raises his voice or does that kind of, like, that kind of typical Joe Pesci irate thing. And it's really kind of fantastic the way he does it. It's almost kind of intoxicating the way that that he he played this role, didn't you think? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Intoxicating is a really good word for it. And, uh, I mean, overall, uh, I was not enamoured by the Irishman as many other critics were. Don't get me wrong, I didn't dislike it, but I I didn't, like, uh, gush and fall in love with it immediately. But that said, uh, just different individual performances did move me. And uh, it was great to see Joe back on stage uh, on screen. And I think my memory of him a lot other than Goodfellas and and the more serious roles were, were his comedies, My Cousin yeah. Vinny and the, Su- the Super and Home Alone. You know, like I was speaking to someone the other day uh, considerably younger than I, but the only 
movie he knew of Joe Pesci was Home Alone. And it's crazy because it's just so different to what other people are talking about. You know, they always bring up Goodfellas, and that's great. But, uh, yeah, I just think he, he's terrific in this understated and, yeah, not going over the top, but he didn't need to. He's in control when he's sitting in some of those scenes where he's sitting at the table and just like talking and moving his hands around, he's in control. And that is really solid acting. Don't forget as well, the lethal weapon movies was really good in those ones. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, no, I forgot about them. I don't think they ever won Oscars, but you know, he's entertaining in that, in those. He definitely was with the blonde hair and uh, yeah, all that stuff. (laughs) Um, So let's stick with the Irishman. I'm going to counter your Joe Pesci with my Al Pacino. Um, so he plays the role of Jimmy Hoffa in the movie, and it's a pivotal role because the ba- basis of the film, the whole three-hour basis of the film, uh, to me, um, it's a it's a movie about loyalty. So you got Frank um, Robert De Niro's character, blame um, Frank Sheeran. He's a hitman for the Philadelphia mob. He works for Joe Pesci's character, but he's also good friends with Jimmy Hoffa, played by Al Pacino's character. And it's almost like this guy is like towing the line between these two different forces. You have Joe Pesci. We talked about him already. We talked about how he's a quiet and unassuming guy, has a lot of power. Um, but then you talk about Al Pacino, and he plays Jimmy Hoffa. Jimmy Hoffa, the firebrand, Teamsters leader, um, the head of the union, always in front of the camera. I think the line in the movie was in the 50s, he was as big as Elvis. In the 60s, he was as big as the yeah. Beatles. I mean, he was like the, the, the man. And um, Pacino, whenever he appears on screen, is just electric. I mean... A lot of people talk about Al Pacino's acting style, um, which really kind of came out like the really kind of big, kind of bombastic kind of Al Pacino. They really kind of came out in the late 80s, early 90s. His early kind of 70s stuff, a lot of that was kind of like more, a little more subdued. He did those um, Godfather movies and films with Cindy Lament and etc. Um, but this is like that, the, the later day Pacino at its very best. Um, interestingly enough, it's his first movie with Martin Scorsese, and they never worked with each other before. Um, and he just knocks it out the park every time he's on the screen. Um, he just the screen, he just cackle, he just crackles with, with electricity. I mean, he's just so good um, in this movie. Um, interestingly enough, he's a one-time Oscar winner for *Sin of a Woman*, and that was the last time he received a nomination back in 1993. He was actually nominated twice that year. Uh, for Silver of a Woman and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. So he's one of the few oh, to get like a double yes. um, nominee. Um, since then, he's given great performances, but he's won a whole lot of Emmys and a whole lot of Golden Globes, but no Oscar nomination. So I predict um, that not only will Pacino um, uh, be nominated, but he could be like a front runner uh, for um, winning as well. I think his uh, performance is that strong. His um, iconic status as a legend, um, a legend actor, um, is going to help some way as well. Um, and look, uh, whether it's Pacino, whether it's Pesci, whether it's both, it would be really cool if both get nominated. I reckon one or two is definitely going to get nominated there because The Irishman, I am a big fan of. It's already jumped up to my favourite film of the year so far. Um, and I think a slew of award nominations are going to go its way, and those two actors in particular, if not both of them, uh, definitely one of them will get um, nominated uh, this upcoming uh, Academy Awards. Let me just say quickly on on Al Pacino. I mean, yeah, he hasn't been nominated, but he kind of. I, I was surprised when you said he hadn't been nominated for Donnie Brasco. No. I actually thought he had, but no. because he's he's so good in that and and The Insider, and he's done some great films, but he also went off the, you know, off the rails a bit with, like, Jiggly mm-hmm. and uh, Jack and Jill. Yeah. Like, 
no no actor, no matter what their status, Matt, is immune to rubbish. No, of course not. <laughs> Obviously. I mean, and this is a film that stars Robert De Niro as well. He had Rocky and Bullwinkle <laughs> and all those kind of films. I think it's just something that happens with these um, some of these actors, especially like... Um, you know, you're, you're, well, I think Dustin Hoffman is not so much, and Jim, Jack Nicholson is very picky. Um, but there's a lot of actors that, when it hits that age range, they try to take whatever performance they can. Sometimes, sometimes it falters. Sometimes it's just really mind-boggling. Like Jack and um, Jack and Jill was just—he plays himself in that movie, right? So it's just almost like a parody kind of performance. Yeah, um, so, like I'm against Adam Sandler movies, basically. As yeah, most of them. I, I hear. Uh, and and Jack, you just brought up Jack Nicholson. He played Hoffa. In That's a right. movie called Hoffa. That's right. And, and I was like understandably uh, kind of comparing that performance, which I have not seen for a long time, but I know I've seen Hoffa, it was, which had Danny DeVito and I think directed by Danny DeVito Correct. back in the 90s. Yeah. But, yeah, that's the only uh, exposure I've ever had to Jimmy Hoffa in movies that I can remember. This, The Irishman, and then back in the day for Hoffa. So... I, I agree. I think he's quite um, substantial in it. But if they're only picking one, I would go with Joe Pesci. I'd go with Al, but I'll be happy with either one or two, the truth. Um, Shane, what's next on your list? Well, we were talking about this movie also previously earlier in the podcast, uh, Ford versus Ferrari and Tracy Letts. Yeah. As uh, Henry Ford II, as they they say a few times in the movie, uh, he's he's out of control. He's really good. Like I could, I was very surprised how how well he acted in this. I mean, he has a moment in the trailer where he breaks down and cries after Matt Damon's character takes him on a test run in the car. But there's a lot more to it than that. And there's some great acting here in this movie, including Christian Bale. I mean, he's one of my favourites anyway. But Tracy Letts, I thought I would mention, because he's uh, he's a face that you've seen in a lot of movies, but I, I, I've got to be honest, I hadn't known his name until now. He's a really interesting guy, Tracy Letts. Um, not only an actor, and um, a lot of people will remember him playing um, Saoirse Ronan's dad in Lady Bird. He's also, oh, of course. He's also quite an accomplished screenwriter, especially on the stage. Um, uh, August Osage County, I don't know if you remember that film with Julia Roberts, Hugh McGregor. He, I love that. Yeah, that's a really strong movie that didn't do well at the box office, but uh, it's it's got some great actors, and yeah, I do remember it. Well, he wrote the screenplay and the play as well. Um, he wrote okay. that, and I don't know if you remember um, two William Friedkin films, one called Bug with Ashley Judd, and another one called Killer Joe with um, Matthew McConaughey. He wrote those two films as well. Um, both the plays and the uh, the movies. Um, so he's like a very interesting guy. He's really kind of um, solidified himself lately, though, as this character actor. Like you said, one of those faces, uh, you know it, you don't really know who it is. And I think this performance just might be the performance to really break through and get him a nomination. I do think yeah. he was really strong in this movie. And just playing the, the character, a person like Henry Ford II, a uh, big um, uh, uh, auto industry magnate, um, driven by his ego um all the power in the world and all the money to back it up as well doing uh whatever it takes to win this kind of like uh, battle of egos up against um, enzo ferrari um I, I, he was just terrific in it and every time he appears on screen he's always entertaining as well um even when he doesn't say anything in, in his very kind of uh just <laughs> just just has those eyes that just kind of stare can like really burn a hole through you um he's terrific in that and you mentioned that scene as well in the trailer where where he um, 
bursts out uh, weeping after Matt Damon gives him a little uh, uh, run around the circuit in a very kind of in a very kind of fast, extreme, extreme. way. Extreme. Um, there's even more to that in the movie. Like a, there's a bit of like almost like a, uh, a monologue, dialogue thing happening there as well. So um, and he's just terrific at that too. So I. I I back what you say there with Tracy Letts. He's really terrific in that film. And um, I don't know. Let's see what happens. Because I don't think that Matt Damon and Christian Bale really have... Uh, are going to really kind of puncture what I think is going to be like the top five or six names for lead actor. Yeah. But I think Tracy Letts could have a chance to really get in that um, supporting actor uh, category. Yeah, well, I was thinking of putting Christian Bale in the mix. But he and Matt are more of the lead to me and and i really wanted to mention tracy letts to you and you've just enlightened me i mean i I didn't know about august osage county and and his other stage writing and that so i i just really glad and and i hope that he gets recognized for this because it's a he he has great monologues as you mentioned with with just about everyone he comes in contact with yeah in this film and and they the eyes have it and he's not a conventional good looking actor or anything like that he he has presence though and uh i would love to see him nominated for a supporting actor i would as well um i'm going to move on to my next pick and to me so far this is the front runner in the category and that's brad pitt in once upon a time in hollywood um he's a three-time nominee he's actually an oscar winner um as a producer for 12 years a slave he has that um Plan B um, studio um, that he does a lot of films with. Um, uh, just off the top of my head, I think, jeez, um, I can't even think of it now. I think Vice was one of them, and I'm not 100%. Big Short was Well, there. he previously produced uh, the, the King. The, he which he did that as well? Yeah. Um, yeah, he did. Big Short, uh, Moneyball, he produced that as well. He also got nominated as an actor in that movie. So he's like in front of the screen, behind the screen, a really kind of, you know, of course. Uh, talented, uh, you know, talented actor, and I think this performance in particular as Cliff Booth, uh, stuntman in Quentin Tarantino's latest movie, um, is one of his best performances. And you could say that it is a, like, it is one hundred percent. Let's just face facts. It's a co-lead performance. It is. Um, both DiCaprio and Pitt have equal screen time. Um, Brad Pitt isn't so much a supporting actor, but um, category-wise. And there is a, kind of like a lot of category play um, when it comes to award season, and a lot of lead um, performances go, get slotted into supporting performances because in this case they want DiCaprio to get that lead nomination. Um, I think Brad Pitt is going to go for supporting actor. Um, he said he's not going to campaign for it, but I think when push comes to shove, he is going to be out there and do some stuff. For, I mean, I've already seen him out there um, talking with, um, doing interviews with um, other actors and such, and talking about the movie. So he's kind of going against his word already. Um, but I think he's just terrific in his movie. He's funny. Um, he portrays kind of like almost like a man's man character, but a good man as well. It, it, it's not like some testosterone-driven thug. It's a guy with um, good sensibilities and a good heart towards him and a very compelling um, actor as well. And the last half hour of the film, when you just see him kind of let loose upon uh, Charles Manson's minions, I think he's just just fantastic kind of physical comedic um, uh, aspect to his performance as well. Um, and I, I, I think he's overdue for a win. Um, there's been a bunch of performances that he's been nominated for that he could have got a win for, but hasn't got there yet. Um, and I think this movie in particular, and Tarantino does have a Midas touch with supporting players and getting them nominations and getting them wins, um, could possibly his first win as an actor. And if it's that, if that's the case, then it's deservedly so. Yeah, well, he's on my list as well. So I agree with everything you just said. But 
what, what you were saying about not campaigning. I mean, one, he probably doesn't need to mm. because it's a movie that I would suggest is going to be in the minds of, of voters anyway. And it's about to come out on uh, Blu-ray and DVD. And there was an extended version released in US cinemas recently. Yep. So it's on people's minds. Uh, he is a legend. Like, he's a, obviously a great-looking great bloke and a, uh, a true movie star, you know. But his career is all over the place. It's, it's independence to, to blockbusters to, you know, it's really, really good and impressive. And from a very young age, he had, he had the it factor. And in, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think we talked about it in previous episodes of Talking Oscars this year, that it, it's, it's a great movie. Like, it is just, it's a movie about movies and, and history and Tarantino, and it's just got everything going for it. And he, he's great. Like, he's just so good. And that scene, I'll, I'll bring it up again, where he goes to that old western town after giving the, the hippie girl a lift. Uh, Margaret Qualley, and then goes through the whole Bruce Dern and then coming out of the shed. And, you know, if you haven't seen it, I won't spoil it too much more, but it is extraordinary in filmmaking, in music, in acting, in cinematography, and just everything. So yeah. Brad Pitt has to be nominated, and, yes, he was on my list as well. Great pick there. Um, well, who else is on your list, Shane? Who's next on your um, pick for supporting actor? Well, um, I've got two left fields here, and this is the first one. Jamie Bell for Rocketman. Interesting. Now, okay. Everyone's talking about uh, Taron Edgerton, and he's he's amazing as as Elton John, of course. But Jamie Bell was just as impressive. Yeah. Uh, as the as his friend and and co-writer, song co-writer, and it was a really good performance. And I remember seeing that at the premiere, and people around me, when he appeared on screen, forgot. They go, oh, that's Jamie Bell. Like they kind of like were startled by his presence and then were talking about him afterwards because he had such an impact. Uh, I really like him in Rocket Man. I think Rocket Man, I hope, hasn't been forgotten because it was released earlier in the year and that happens to you know be the case sometimes when it comes to movies that get released rather than later in the year, earlier in the year. But Jamie Bell is my um, is one of my long shots to be nominated as a supporting actor. So he is a BAFTA winner for, of course, his um, role in Billy Elliot. He also got nominated. One of the great movies. Yeah, well, sure is. And only a couple of years ago, he um, got nominated for um, Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool. I don't know if you've ever seen that with him. Oh, and, I did um, with Annette Benny. Annette Benny. Yeah, I did see that. But it was kind of forgettable. It wasn't bad, but it was a forgettable film. Um, so in Rocketman, he plays the role of uh, Bernie Taupin, who was the song, the um, pretty much a lyricist for Elton John, wrote um, lyrics for all of his big kind of um, uh, big hits. And, like, I know exactly what you're saying. I mean, Taron Edgerton, of course, he's playing Elton John, so he's playing a personality that's a big and he's loud and he's proud and he sings and he dances and all this stuff. Uh, and Jamie Bell um, doesn't do... He does maybe a little bit of that as well because, of course, the movie kind of delves into these kind of big musical fantastical sequences. Fantasy, uh, yeah. But um, he just sees his presence. It kind of gives the film a grounding. Um, it definitely gives the Elton John char- character a grounding as well. It gives him like a, a shoulder to lean on. It gives him a confidence as well. Um, so I, I think he's just fantastic in the, in the, in the role as well. And it's definitely one of those um, things where you leave that movie thinking about Taron Egerton and all that stuff as well. But Jamie Bell definitely does stick on your mind. So that, I think that's a really good kind of uh, pick there, uh, Shane, because um, I would have thought of myself, if, if he doesn't get 
Oscars consideration. I like to think that maybe BAFTAs will, will, will be something of a, of a lock for him, wouldn't you? Oh, BAFTAs is a lock. Yeah, being British, of course. And, and BAFTAs are a little bit outside the box. Uh, I, I think that Rocketman will get a lot of love from the BAFTAs, for sure. My next pick is for a movie that we haven't seen yet, and I have no idea when it's coming out here in Australia as well, by the way, which really sucks because it's getting great reviews uh, in the States. I'm talking about Willem Dafoe in The Lighthouse. Um, <laughs> oh, yes, I can't wait to see this. So um, Robert Eggers, um, this is his second film. He did a film called The Witch, or what some people call The Witch because of the, the way that the, the spelling <laughs> of the cover, which is just one of those silly things. Um, and he plays the role of a lighthouse keeper alongside Robert Patterson. Um, the character's name that um, Willem Dafoe play is Thomas Wake, and I don't know if you've seen the trailers and some clips from this movie, but it's almost, it almost sounds like kind of like a pirate kind of a kind of voice to him. Um, and and um, from from what I've read in the in the movie, he's just simply fantastic in it. Um, he's been nominated four times previously. It's any twice in recent years actually he had at Eternity's Gates uh, when he played Van Gogh and then he had um, Florida Project um, as well. So I don't know whether he's going to win, but I think this is a performance from what I've read that's interesting and interesting and entertaining enough in that really unique Willem Dafoe kind of way um, that it's going to almost get him a, another nomination here, which would be number five. Um, I, I, you know, I just have a feeling that an actor like Willem Dafoe is going to go the way of Peter O'Toole and go his whole life get nominated and not get a win and it's not because he's not a terrific actor it's not because he doesn't give terrific performances but his the movies that he does are kind of like really kind of eccentric under the radar kind of films that can get you that nomination but can't get you over the hump to get the win that's where the Brad Pitt's and the uh and the you know Mike Rylances and etc. They're the ones who get those kind of uh, those kind of uh, um, performances and wins um, instead. So I, I think Willem Dafoe is going to be uh, get another nomination here. I can't wait to watch this movie because the trailers look fantastic. The early reviews look great as well. Shot in black and white. I love the witch. I love what happened there, and I love watching Willem Dafoe be really unconventional and really kind of uh, unkempt as well. And this movie definitely shows both sides of him in the in it yeah i um i have not seen the trailers so i'm not sure how he speaks like a pirate but only because the witch i knew nothing about that either i hadn't seen the trailer and it was just pulsating so i'm expecting a lot from what i hear uh from the festivals that it has played at overseas and by other critics so looking forward to the lighthouse and yeah willem dafoe i mean the last temptation of christ mm. i mean how and 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 platoon and it just goes on and on so i love the florida project i actually thought he would really win that year and i i don't think he he lost by much so uh let's hope so matt and i look forward to watching it what's next on your list shane well this is uh my um i've got an honorable mention but i'm going to mention this one as another long shot uh, alongside Jamie Bell for Rocketman, and that's Samuel L. Jackson for The Banker. Okay. Now, I brought this movie up with you last time, and you were, like, impressed that I even knew about it because I do like to go a bit off sometimes the radar. And and it hasn't yet been released. It, uh, it's got Nicholas Holt and Samuel Jackson and Taylor Black in it, like I was talking about last time. But seriously, I, I have it has everything going for it. And from what I can see in the trailer, which has been released since we last talked, I think, you know, um, 
Samuel Jackson's going to be a bit of a long shot, but you know, I think he might get considered for some kind of uh, supporting role in this. Um, stars Anthony Mackie as well, directed by George Nolfi, who did The Adjustment Bureau. Yeah, I remember actually talking about this film last time with you as well. Um, you know, Samuel Jackson's one of those kind of interesting kind of actors. I mean, we'll talk about Willem Dafoe before and the different kind of, you know, all the different type of performances he does. And Samuel Jackson's kind of similar. He can do like these kind of indie films and kind of eccentric fare as well. But then he's got those kind of Tarantino films and Marvel movies that kind of fall back on as well. Um, so yeah. yeah, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens when this film comes out, whether it's going to have an impact. Was, there's a few films like it hasn't even, like no one's seen yet. I mean, that's one of them. Uh, what's the other one? There's that um, Richard Jewell, the Clean Eastwood movie as well. That's another one yes, no one's seen and yet. and Bombshell. There we always. go, Bombshell as well. I mean, there's all these films that people haven't seen yet that still have the possibility to make an impact on the uh, awards race. And I think The Banker uh, could definitely be one of them. Um, I'm just going to move on now and just talk about a couple other potential nominees. Uh, and I'm going to go through them quickly because I haven't seen the films, um, but I think that uh, there's potential there for for um, Oscar um, uh, Oscar nominees here. Uh, the first one is Tom Hanks for A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood. Um, so he plays the role of uh, Fred Rogers, with, of course, you know, there was that... Uh, um, uh, TV show in the States for such a long time and in the, in the role of Mr. Fred Rogers with such a warming presence on the screen and you can't think of a better actor than Tom Hanks to portray a character like that. Um, so he's a two-time winner but you know the last time he was nominated was back in 2001 for Castaway um, which is kind of crazy to me because you got to think about since that time so many great performances he did. You have um, Captain Phillips um, what's the one with... Um, uh, Sully, the the Clean Eastwood film. About well, the- well, Sully was was incredible, and I loved that. But I I think we may have spoken about this before, if not on air, off air. And that's how did he not get nominated for Captain Phillips? Yeah, yeah. I mean, seriously, it was such an epic, incredible, emotional role and yeah i'm very surprised he did not get nominated for that i mean it's just one of those things right like it's almost like the kind of like the pacino thing we we're talking about beforehand so yeah. yeah like a decade or plus of great performances but it's almost it almost feels like sometimes that certain actors um get the awards maybe one or two awards and then after that the academy kind of says you know what you've been honored enough we're going to try to look at some other people i mean the case, the, the exception to that is someone like Meryl Streep who gets in, uh, got nominated for everything. Like, Meryl Streep can, can sneeze into a tissue paper on screen and get nomination for supporting <laughs> actors. Um, well, you know, I, I, I will just um, hold you up on that because as much as I love her and I agree, she's a bit like Christian Bale and Julia Roberts. Whenever they're in a movie, you're interested. You want to yep. see it. But Meryl Streep is in uh, The Laundromat. Yep. this year and i'm not so sure she'll get nominated no like, no i don't think so i, I mean either. i enjoyed it but mate i don't think she'll get nominated i mean that i could have uh, added that to my what i've watched but um you know I, there's <laughs> a lot of, I, I didn't like in regards to that movie performances wise it was okay i mean it very much kind of like a, a big short kind of rip i liked it i actually I was, really was entertained and had a good laugh but yeah no 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 awards no awards. no awards but you know there's another netflix movie that's coming out soon that i think could possibly for a few awards coming its way and there's a film called the two popes um so this is a very kind of interesting movie um, so it's the, the nomination I'm talking about in particular for this category is Anthony Hopkins, who's playing the role of Pope Benedict, as a lot of people know. Um, he was the head of the Catholic Church, 
as, um, as uh, sitting on the chair of St. Peter, and then he resigned from the position, um, which at that point Pope Francis, played by Jonathan Price, takes, takes over. Uh, the director of the film is Fernando Mireles, and he did City of God and The Constant Gardener. Um, this is a Netflix production. Early reviews have been really, really strong for this movie. Um, yeah. And I think... I mean, Anthony Hopkins, we've mentioned before Tom Hanks and Al Pacino. The last time Anthony Hopkins was nominated for an Oscar was back in 1998 for Armistead. So it's almost been like 20 plus years since he got a nomination too. And I think these, this role in particular, I, I've seen a couple of the trailers so far because being a Catholic myself, I'm very interested in the story and how it's going to be portrayed. Um, Jonathan Price, I don't know if you've ever seen Jonathan Price and Pope Francis together. They're dead ringers. I mean, if I if I find out 10 years from now that Jonathan Price <laughs> has been sitting in the St. Peter's, um, St. Peter's um, in Rome, uh, acting as uh, the Pope um, for like a year or so, so so St. Pope Francis can have some time off. I would not be shocked whatsoever because they look exactly like one another. Um, and Anthony Hopkins also bears a resemblance to the, um, Pope Benedict as well. And um, from what I've seen of the trailer so far and early reviews, he really gives a really commanding performance, portraying a really interesting man. I mean, Pope. Benedict, uh, for all the flaws he had as the um, um, uh, during his time in the papacy, he's a very interesting, intelligent man, very theological sound, and I think um, that Anthony Hopkins has that kind of um, has a cadence, has the intelligence to really pull off a role like that. And I wouldn't be surprised that finally, after how many years he didn't get a nomination, he does get a nomination for the two popes. We're going to find out soon because um, just like Marriage Story and The Irishman. Um, the Two Popes is a Netflix movie, so we're going to see it sooner or later. Um, and I'm pretty sure that the Ritz, just like Irishman and Marriage Story, are going to be showing The Two Popes when it comes out early December. Um, so they are. Yeah, so it's definitely a film I want to see, and I think that Anthony Hopkins um, definitely has a chance to get nominated for it. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Uh, I know uh, you are a Catholic, so you know a lot about this stuff. I would never have known that Jonathan Price was like a, a dead ringer for the Pope. So you have you go. no idea. I'm telling you. Look, I'm, when we're done here, get on Google, <laughs> write down Jonathan Price, Pope Francis, and when both those, when both their images come up, you're going to be befuddled. You're going to be like, oh, my God, how the hell does this happen? It's kind of like a, that kind of... Um, uh, Tom Hardy, Logan, Marshall Green kind of thing, where they look exactly the same. I'm telling you right now, Pope Francis and Jonathan Price look exactly the same. I mean, you couldn't think of anyone <laughs> else but him to play this role. It's almost as if like God made him um, look like Pope Francis, so he can play Pope Francis later in his career. I mean, it's that it's that incredible. Look it up afterwards. Trust me. When I you're not going to like this, but when I think of uh, Jonathan Price, I mean, I think of and we spoke about it earlier. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, mm -hmm. he's in that. Yep. And a really early '80s movie from uh, with Whoopi Goldberg called Jumpin' Jack. Flash. Oh, interesting. He, he was in that as well, right at the end. Like, he's not in main character. He's right at the end. Very young in it. And, of course, he played a, a James Bond villain. And um, I've, uh, I've, I'm a bit of a fan of the James Bond movie, so I'm very familiar with him in Tomorrow Never Dies. Excellent. So, Yes. <laughs> Jonathan Price, The Two Popes, I will look forward to watching it. But uh, um, whether he's an Oscar nominee or not, I will let you know when I see it. 
Excellent. Um, any other um, uh, mentions you want to make for this category, Shane? Yeah, two honourable mentions. Um, we mentioned Bombshell before. John Lithgow is in it. Mm-hmm. Now, he plays Roger Ailes. It's a true story uh, based on the Fox News Network and all the bad, bad things that were happening behind the scenes. Uh, Russell Crowe played Roger Ailes recently in The Loudest Voice, yep. a television series which I uh, really, really enjoyed uh, it was a great. It was a little bit difficult to watch, but um, it is. It was a good, good series. But this one um, with Charlize Theron and Margot Robbie and Nicole Kidman, John Lithgow uh, in the trailer at least, he's not kind of unrecognisable. But Roger Ailes was a very heavy set, big guy, and mm. and with a distinct voice and character, and he looks like. Uh, he'd be pretty effective in this. So I'm going to give him as an honourable mention, and I haven't seen it yet, but I'm looking forward to Bombshell. And my second honourable mention is Wesley Snipes. Uh-huh. And uh, the Dolomite movie, yeah. which, I mean, Eddie Murphy, I, I've got as a lock, I hope, <laughs> as best actor, you never know. But, um, yeah, Wesley Snipes has not a lot to do, but it's good to see him. He was impressive. And um, I think... If anything, the Golden Globe uh, Foreign Press will nominate him. We'll see about Oscars, but I really wanted to mention him as one of my picks. I just want to put a really outside mention as well, and we spoke about it before, but I'm just so curious as to what's going to happen with the Robert Downey Jr. nomination or potential nomination for Avengers. Um, It's really interesting to me because he was kind of like the first actor to sign on board launched the whole thing with Iron Man back in 2008, whether that in itself is going to give it enough juice to get a nomination. I don't think it will, but I'm just going to put it out there so in case it does happen, I can say, I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but so I can put it on record. I don't think it will happen. I think like all the names that we've talked about already, that's a really, really strong assemblage of talent right there um, to be that could be potentially nominated. I can't see anyone being bumped. Uh, for uh, for him and for his performance. If it does happen, I mean, it'll be quite spectacular because a, a lot of that, I think, is fan-driven because, as we mentioned in the news before, a lot of the fans said, no, no, put you know put him in consideration. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it will happen, but I'm just going to put it out there just in case it does uh, because I remember last uh, Oscar season, I, I spoke a lot about Black Panther, and I was happy to to see that come to come into <laughs> fruition. Um, so I'm going to talk. I'm going. I think I might do the same End Game as well. Um, just be, just because you know, I don't know. I just it just seems to me that the different kind of face of the Academy is just kind of switching to take those films a little more seriously than they used to. So I'm just going to keep that out there. Keep it keep it afloat, just in case it does happen. You keep it afloat, Matt. You're a friend. You're a colleague, and you're a dreamer. I, I am. <laughs> it's I, not gonna. It, it is not gonna happen. If you're gonna throw him in the mix, I'll throw Timothy Chalamet in the mix for Little Women, which I haven't seen yet. But yeah, you know, there you go. I actually got a screening of that coming up soon, so I'm gonna be very interested to see. What I am looking like. forward to it as well. Yes. Yes. Uh, okay. So before we uh, depart, Shane, how many tell the people out there where they can find you online? Well, uh, if you want to read my reviews and, and reports on the red carpet and interviews and so forth, you can find me on uh, social media at movie underscore analyst. So at movie underscore analyst on both Instagram and Twitter. And for everyone listening, you can find Matt's Movie Reviews at www.mattsmoviereviews.net, also on Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, 
um, pretty much everywhere, all over the web. I'm, I'm covering every every base uh, that you can you can imagine. Um, so make sure you get online and check us both out. Shane A. Bassett, I thank you very much for joining me once again, and hopefully we get a chance to do this again uh, next week because we're going to start going into the lead categories. And who knows, maybe uh, between now and next week we get a little more uh, clearer picture as to what's happening campaign-wise for a lot of these movies. I hope so. Yeah, I think we will. And um, you never know, there might be a movie that we haven't even mentioned yet that uh, might go up a notch next time we speak. Okay, Shane. Take care. Bye. Bye.